and let me ask you a question. Where are you guys from? San Diego. San Diego. And, and how'd you, what'd you do? You drove here. Why'd you drive here? We wanted to see this. <laughs> Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Billy Dee Williams are here. When you watch the movies, you can tell that they were made by people who really cared, cared, about, cared about what about they were doing. It. Seeing this part of it filmed, and there's all of the props around, and there's people lying on the ground, and, and it's all cruddy. But you know that, that they're going to take it back and put in the opticals, and it's going to be totally different. I mean, so we're, all, to that. we're all in Tatooine right now. Yeah. So that's terrific, you know. <laughs> By the time all nine films are done, it's going to be like, I mean, I don't, I'm afraid to see what you guys are going to come up with. It's going to be amazing. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Blast Points here. This is Jason. This is Gabe. We're still here. <laughs> we, we hope all of you are still here, too. We hope everybody out there is staying safe, staying in your house if you can. And we are talking about the Skywalker Legacy documentary from the surprise release, early release, last weekend of The Rise of Skywalker on home video. Yeah, things are a little hectic and stressful and crazy for people, but it is nice. There are some little things to take your mind off it, and it was very nice to have Rise of Skywalker early, even though Rise of Skywalker isn't necessarily the the comfort food that everyone hopes it would be, but it's still a new Star Wars at home, and it's still a new Star Wars documentary and behind-the-scenes stuff, which is always time for celebration, even if it's not. A time for celebration. I give it up to everyone's opinion across the board. People that love it, people that cannot physically watch it again. You know, all opinions are valid, in my opinion. And uh, <laughs> but regardless of how anyone feels about the movie, it was a a nice gesture to be like, "Who cares? Release date, release date. Just put it out early. Here you go, folks. Here it is." And you know, anything people can do for a little bit of extra enjoyment especially for things like that like things you're gonna watch at home we we need stuff to look forward to at home yeah i think i'm going a little crazy because i ended up since i had to go buy the digital version since all the other digital versions were on sale i just bought like the nine movie digital set even though they're oh my god all, oh my god even though they're all on disney plus i was like huh they're but they're on sale it's 50 percent off have you dived into any of the the bonus features for the other films? Yeah, I did watch the um, theatrical cut of the pod race last night because that's 
that's on the uh, the digital version. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, I don't know if that was on one of the DVDs or maybe that's on the Blu-ray. It's so confusing now to know when you get the digital one, where they got what from. But they do have the, which I didn't go back and watch, the uh, the Ben Burt sitting on a bench interviews. Were those on the Blu-ray? No, those were, those were new for the, the digital release, which, what was that, 2015? Oh, geez. Okay, so those are there. I got to go in and watch that stuff. But yeah, at least I have all that stuff to go through. So I don't know. I was like, well, if, if the internet goes out, I'll have the digital. But it's like, wait, if the internet goes out, I won't have Disney Plus or these. <laughs> <laughs> but I, <laughs> I think I can download the stuff to my hard drive on my iPad or something, which... I, Disney Plus will let you do that for some things, but I think there's a limit. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I, they tr- they tricked me. I bought them all. Now I have. I was like, I'm not going to buy that new Blu-ray set, but I'll, I'll buy them all digital. <laughs> you know, it's understandable. It's un- totally understandable. Yeah. You get a little cabin fever, you go a little crazy. So You know, YOLO, as the kids say. That's, <laughs> that's, that's my motto. If I get really hungry, I, I'll just watch these and I won't need to eat. Food? Who needs food? I have the theatrical cut of the Padres. <laughs> so, okay, we're talking about the Skywalker Legacy documentary. It's a two-hour documentary with The Rise of Skywalker. Overall, Gabe, okay, before we start getting into some of the highlights of it, uh, what were you, what are some of your thoughts on uh, the Skywalker legacy? Because the two hour documentaries on the making of Star Wars movies are what we live for. That's <laughs> our it's our bread and butter. So yeah, it is kind of crazy because we went from thinking there was going to be nothing on this disc to oh, there's going to be a documentary to oh, this documentary is two hours long, which I was not expecting that much stuff, but then. On the other hand, it's even though like the beginning is only an hour, there's probably that hour is more packed with the best stuff where this, it maybe isn't as focused because they have two hours, but I don't know. There's a lot of really cool stuff. There's a lot of them filming scenes that we've never seen, which makes me want the deleted scenes even more. I don't know. What were, what were your thoughts after, after watching it once? Or you watched it twice now. It's tough because it's 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 hard to watch this without someone's personal feelings on the rise of Skywalker kind of seeping into your your viewing of this documentary. It's almost the rise of Skywalker of documentaries because it's you hear about it and you're like that sounds great, and then you I think like you watch it for the first time and you're like this is amazing, and then if you watch it again you're kind of like oh well. It's still really great. And there's absolutely amazing stuff in it. And everybody should watch it. But there aren't moments in it like when you're watching the beginning or the director and the Jedi or movies aren't released, they escape where you're like, wow, I didn't know that. That's incredible. Or I feel like I'm seeing things that maybe I even shouldn't be seeing. Like I'm really watching all the warts and all look at how these movies get made. I mean, the Skywalker legacy is good. It's fine. At times it's great, but overall it's just, it's great fluff. Yeah. Well, it's definitely, I felt like it was in between what we got on the force awakens, which is all fluff in like staged interviews kind of stuff. But it's not like you said, right? Like director in the Jedi or the beginning where it was like real down and dirty nitty gritty stuff. 
I was pleasantly surprised it was somewhere in the middle because I was expecting Force Awakens. I guess it exceeded my low expectations. I fully get that the last thing anyone needs right now is people talking about the rise of Skywalker <laughs> and their opinions on it. Like it's not really uh, the, the major concern right now. And my feelings on the movie, as I saw it uh, six times in the theater and have watched it at home now where I still love what I loved back when we did our review episode in December. And if anything, if anything, what I liked in that movie, I like even more now. And what confused me in December I'm even more confused by now. The movie it the, it holds this odd spot for me where it's like there's bits there's pieces where I think are incredibly great and then there's other pieces where I'm like I don't I just don't understand why. <laughs> you know? So in this documentary especially even like the second time you watch it you're kind of like okay this is called the the Skywalker legacy but it's really kind of just about the rise of Skywalker. And some of the original trilogy. And thinking about it again more, it's like, well, that's kind of like The Rise of Skywalker, too. Because, oh, we're closing all nine movies. And it's like, well, you're really just kind of closing this one. And I don't even know if you're paying attention to a whole lot of the other ones. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good point and something I noticed, too. That it, it, I think we talked about this uh, the other night. Like, they should have just called it, like, Making of Rise of Skywalker by calling it the Skywalker Legacy it implies a lot more of the Skywalker legacy that they didn't go into other than just showing us some old footage from the original trilogy, which was really cool to see, but not quite everything about the Skywalker legacy. Yeah. And the thing watching the documentary is it did seem to kind of clarify where it seems like where Chris Terrio and JJ's head were and where they were coming from as far as feeling like they were closing out the saga because you can really see where kind of when they think about the star Wars saga, they're very focused on the original trilogy through the sequel trilogy. And it almost seemed like in their mind, it was really important to tie rise of Skywalker back to return of the Jedi or the original movies and almost not thinking about the story as it is like, in the movies where it goes from episode one through episode nine and almost even kind of ignoring seven and eight in a way, as much as I guess I still kind of don't agree with that way they did it. It makes more sense why they did it. And you can see how they were make, how they were making their decisions because in their mind, there was like the way they see this, the the saga is different than the way a lot of other people do, if that makes sense. Totally. And I, I and I think th- that's true amongst obviously a lot of fans, you know, and that's and that's what it is. And it and it makes for a an interesting watch of the documentary, depending on where you're coming from. Because uh, on, in one part, you've got JJ talking about the the opera scene in Revenge of the Sith and how he felt like that was like a dangling thread to bring palpatine back where the dark side is a pathway to many of the abilities someone consider unnatural and all that and it's like well yeah that's true and darth plagueis and that's all true i mean back in our palpatine episode i feel like we were like well maybe that is the setup for how palpatine came back but it's still kind of like well you didn't explain it in the movie at all you have this <laughs> this main bad guy coming back 
And we don't have any reason why. I mean, we're kind of finding out why with the novelization, but that's, you know, and also there's JJ and Chris Terrio talking about how with Ray, they really felt like she's, like I think JJ says flat out, she's so crazy powerful out of nowhere. And we had to explain why. That's like nails on a chalkboard to me personally. <laughs> yeah. I know some people don't have any problems with it and bless them. For me, I'm just like, that's the point, you know, like we didn't. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I'm with you on that. It's like, on one hand, it seemed like that was the point of the sequel trilogy, which he started. And then also, if you want to just be, you know, well, according to the canon, I mean, if you go back to the prequels, like all the Jedi came from nowhere, that's how they ended up being Jedi. They, their parents had a kid, the kid was strong in the force and the Jedi would come get him. Like none of them had families or anything. So it's, it's really wasn't out of place when you're thinking of the movies as the story that was on screen. It's almost like in their head, they think of the movies like how they remembered them as opposed to what is really there in a way. Cause the thing I always was kind of was making me uncomfortably laugh was that it seems like of all the prequels, the ones they reference the most is revenge of the Sith. But then there's other things they would say that seem like they had never seen revenge of the Sith. Or if they did, they only watched it once and forgot. Like when Chris Terrio is talking about, well, we thought it'd be great if three PO lost his memory. And it's kind of like, well, he, <laughs> he lost his, like, don't you remember revenge of the Sith when he lost his memory? Like that was a thing that happened. And, and that was one of the things I think that kind of drove people nuts too, is like, oh, it was cool that he lost his memory and it was such an easy setup that, oh, R2 going to give him his memory back and he's going to know everything. He's going to remember Anakin. He's going to remember Padme and it's going to be awesome. And then he gives him his memory back and it's like, it's just the stuff that happened in the original trilogy that he remembers. And it just seemed like it was like such a low, it's like low hanging fruit of really cool story stuff that they just totally missed because it's like, yeah, if they watched the movie, they have totally forgotten everything in it and didn't feel like watching it again. I don't know. He was too busy reading all the books. I don't know what happened. Part of me feels bad for Chris Terrio because he was going out and doing all those interviews where people are like, explain it. You've got a lot of explaining to do, Terrio. <laughs> and Terry, the guy came from nowhere, and then he's all over this documentary. He's on the set. He's walking around with a computer. A lot of the times he's sitting at a desk filled with Star Wars novels. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> But I just feel, because every time he's on the screen, I'm just like, who are you? Why should I listen to you? I don't even know you. Well, it's like, <laughs> I appreciate you read all those books, but you know, you, you can just put the DVDs in and they're just watch a couple of the movies and it, it'll, it's, that's the important stuff. It's like, let's make all the movies go together. And if the books, if you tie in stuff from the books, cool, but you should probably watch those movies first. All right. So we got that out of the way. <sighs> <laughs> But just like The Rise of Skywalker, in this documentary, there's a lot of really great stuff, too. There's, it's, it's part of the Rise of Skywalker process. You've got to handle the confusing, weird stuff so you can appreciate the really incredible, awesome stuff. And right away, one of the first thing, the first thing in the documentary is a real standout. The fans waiting outside, watching the sail barge and Return of the Jedi scene, filming... I could watch these people. I want to know these people. Where are they now? These are my people. It's one of those those things that you're, it's so exciting to see this footage. But then at the same time, you're like, where has this been all my life? And why are you holding out on us that you have all these, these little treats somewhere that we're not seeing? Because, yeah, just seeing 
you know, as grumpy as we might be about them not including the prequel stuff, the original trilogy stuff we get is just, it's glorious. And any new behind the scenes footage from back then is just such a joy to get to see, especially when it's stuff you haven't seen before, or if you've seen it lower quality or yeah, those people just <laughs> waiting in the desert and talking about the quality of the special effects and all that stuff is just so awesome. <laughs> the opticals. Yeah. Somebody made a, I can't remember who it was. I can't remember if it was on our Facebook group or whatever, but somebody made a really good point that all this footage looks super cleaned up. And if there, what if there's talk of doing like an Imagineering story kind of deep dive nine part, the history of the making of the films? Cause we've said a million, million times on episodes in the past. Anytime we talk about a documentary, how much stuff was filmed for, like, it's chronicled. How much was filmed for the prequels? Like, a billion hours or something was, like, we discovered, at least even for episode one. Even when we were doing the last week with the, the Ahmed Best ones, there's so much stuff out there. Yeah. Well, and even and then with the sequel trilogy, too, it's like they filmed tons of stuff for Force Awakens that we just got a little nugget of in the Force Awakens documentary or whatever that whatever we call that thing and then with director and the jedi we know because rom's talked about how they have hours and hours and hours of footage from that and we can tell from seeing this that there's hours and hours and hours and hours of footage from this as well so yeah i mean disney plus if they need some shows i'm pretty sure there's a lot of people who would watch hours and hours and hours of making of stuff from all these movies. Oh, even especially the first movie, especially for A New Hope. I mean, there was stuff with like Lucas on the set where it's like, wait a minute, never seen this before. Like Mark Hamill rehearsing lightsaber fights in his bell bottoms. Yeah. After that, we're introduced to a lot of the cast and the crew and everybody kind of gets a little introduction. The whole part where they talk about the, the idea of bringing in Carrie Fisher, the the footage from Force Awakens and Leia and working Leia into the storyline. It's all really nice. It's nice Billy Lord talking about it and stuff. And all the footage, the vintage footage of uh, Carrie Fisher is really fantastic. And yeah. Well, what's nice, too, going on is at least in the beginning where we learned how awesome John Knoll is or in Director and the Jedi when everyone fell in love with Rom, that... There are some new behind-the-scenes superstars coming out on this. Maybe specifically the stunt coordinator lady. Eunice. Eunice. Eunice Hutheart. She may be the star of this documentary. If there is a Eunice Hutheart fan club out there, sign me up. I am 100% following Eunice. I need daily updates from Eunice. I need life coach advice from Eunice. <laughs> if you're feeling nervous about what's going on in the world today, we need Eunice. We, we need a Eunice Adam Driver like buddy show or like a talk show because <laughs> the parts where Eunice is talking about how she tried to give direction to Adam Driver, she's like, no, I, Kylo Ren wouldn't do that. He would stand like this. I do everything. I do all my own stunts. <laughs> there was no icebreaker with Adam. You just, it's like, boom, and that's it. But I, I actually love it. I, I love it. Even in rehearsals, Adam's in character. I'll go, Adam... You need to step out more. It's closing your strength down. And he's like, no, no, I don't need to step out more. Kylo Ren wouldn't be like that. He, he wants it there. He wants it there. And I'd be like, yeah, but, yeah, but. And we'd have this, this like, argument, but I like it. Character is her starting place. It's never from spectacle. It's always from within. He was like, 
So this is how it is, Yunus. I do all my own stunts and I'm like, yeah, here we go. I always hear it. I go, Adam, there's a level you can do and there's a level you can't. No, 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 you're not hearing me. I do it all. Yeah, that was great. And I think we've said it a million times too. I think the tr- the the MVP of the sequel trilogy has got to be Neil Scanlon and his team. They do so much incredible stuff and they do so much incredible stuff that either gets cut or is only in the background. I don't know how they don't cry themselves to sleep every night with just how many hundreds and hundreds of incredible creatures and things they've made over these three movies that just get just the briefest spotlight on screen before you never to be seen again. There's that part where Neil Scanlon is adjusting the little big ear creatures on Pasana sitting on a hill. Yeah. And I forgot, we don't even see their faces in the movie. You only see them from behind. We should, yeah, and that was, uh, I keep forgetting what her name is, the second unit director. Victoria Mahoney. Yes. She's another highlight of just all the crazy stuff they were out doing, which in the end, I feel like almost everything they did didn't make it into the movie. But it was more like, you know, some of the shots made it or it was just kind of like visualization that the ILM would end up using later and kind of incorporating it in, but. It was neat to get to see all that stuff because it, 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 they don't usually focus on like the second unit team as much as we got to see in this. It is great. I mean, there's as we go through, there's there's Matthew Wood, there's David Acord, there's people in the editing bay, there's the the practical the, uh, special effects on set effects. There's all the great stuff when they're filming the Death Star lightsaber fight of the guy <laughs> dumping freezing water on Daisy Ridley and. Or the test footage of the guy they made go walk on the, hey, go walk across that bridge. <laughs> I, I would do it. I would do it. Yeah. Uh, I love all the stuff kind of in the middle of the documentary, too, of the the rehearsing the the aki-aki dance moves. That was the thing with this this documentary that really, it kind of blew my mind how much, in a way, money they spent for no reason. <laughs> Like JJ, they just let JJ go wild in the fact that they did so much in Jordan that it's cool on the behind the scenes to see how much stuff they did in Jordan. But in reality, when what you see what ended up in the movie, they probably didn't need to go to Jordan and do all that. And they probably didn't necessarily need like 100 people in costumes doing the dance in the desert. But they did it anyway. <laughs> I think they did. I think they did. Because I, I appreciate every second of the, the, the Festival of the Ancestors on, on, the, on, the, on the beautiful planet of Pisana. I, I do, too. I think it's my favorite part of the movie. But it's just like when you compare how they made this movie to like how they're making Mandalorian, it's just kind of it's, it's very interesting to see like it's two completely opposite philosophies on, on filmmaking. It's just, it was very interesting going from seeing how they did so much with so little on Mandalorian, you know, just a few weeks ago with their behind the scenes thing to seeing how excessive and extravagant the, the production of Rise of Skywalker was. Well, and I wouldn't be surprised to see some of the Mandalorian way, kind of a, bad, a little pun there, <laughs> seeping into the feature films. Because I, I feel like Mandalorian season one was a bit of an experiment can we do this? Will this work? And it worked. You know, when we saw that behind the scenes thing from Mandalorian, you're like, what? Werner Herzog's office that was all a CG projected voodoo thing we're seeing here. But 
It worked. Yeah, and it's funny to contrast it to. I mean, I think I'm I'm kind of getting out of the Skywalker doc because I don't remember if they got into this and that, but in the uh, the one about the speeder chase where they actually did the green screen in the desert just because JJ liked the lighting better, where they literally like instead of just going outside in in California and filming it, they flew all that stuff to. Jordan and they put green screens up in the middle of the desert to film all that stuff. It's just, I don't know. That's, it's insane to me. Same with the sinking sand pit. Like instead of a normal movie would like go in the back lot and they would build a little rig for them to sink in the sand. But for rise of Skywalker, they literally went out in the desert, dug a hole, filled it with shipping crates and did all that stuff on location just to say that they did. I think it's just, I don't know. It's just, it blows my mind. Real sets, practical effects. <laughs> but then there's the, then there's the snake. There's the the snake down underneath the pit, where I think it collectively blew everyone's mind watching the documentary, where they show it, and you're like, oh my god, wait, that was a puppet. And then I, in the documentary, I think they say like, yeah, we're going to replace this with CG. I, well, that's what I'm saying. That's what's. I, I think in in ten years, if we go back and watch this again, I think the the biggest revelation of this is just how insane for the sake of being insane the production of this movie was that they they it's like they spared no expense it's cool on one hand as far as just like this is insane but then on the other hand it's like this is insane that they they know neil scanlon's team built this beautiful puppet and they're like yeah we're just going to use it so the actors have something to react to and then it's just going to be totally replaced i don't know it's just I, i it's Maybe it's just me, but it was just like there were times where I was kind of getting sick to my stomach because I think it was like the the grown up work side of me was like, oh my god, what? A, why, why are they wasting so much money on this? But then there's the other side of like this is just insane in a good way that they're like whatever you know. Like I think it's like JJ was inspired that well Ryan got to put his uh, Thalius siren on the island with the helicopter. I want to do that. And I'm going to basically take everything that, that ILM would do in California. And we're going to fly all that to Jordan. (laughs) The the last, the last confusing thing I'll say, and then I'm going to list off a a bunch of uh, things I love in this documentary. But the last confusing thing was they are trying to decide what the MacGuffin is going to be. That later (laughs) turned out being Ochi's knife and Chris Terrio is really pushing for some sort of scroll situation. And I was like watching it and I'm like, well, that a scroll might have been cool. I don't know. But I was like, but wait, 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 wait. This dang Ochi knife situation. Because I was like, okay, in the movie, it's the knife because the knife is what killed Ray, Ochi killed Ray's parents with while the ship was going away. But Ochi was looking for Ray because, but he killed the parents, the parent, the dad is the son clone of Palpatine. And I was like, but wait a minute, if it wasn't the knife, then the knife wouldn't have been the thing that killed Ray's dad, Palpatine clone. And I was just like, I don't want to think these thoughts. I'm enjoying this. I'm looking at puppets in a desert and I'm thinking about how much I like the Aki Aki Festival of the Ancestors and I don't want these thoughts anymore. No, no I had the same reaction. That was one of the parts of the documentary where I, it kind of took me out of it because I was like, wait, wait a second. Okay, the knife was already kind of weird. And here's JJ. I, I was like, why did JJ let them put this in here too? Because it's like basically JJ saying, I don't know what this is going to be. It's not in the script yet. I don't really know what this is going to be. Yeah, Terry, I was just like, hey, look at this giant scroll. 
so yeah, it just it it kind of makes sense why that part of the story didn't make sense because it didn't make sense to them when they were writing it either. And and the kind of part two of this is all the stuff with Ochi's ship where they're all on set talking about how it's been sitting there for thirty years, <laughs> even though Ray, Ray's parents were only killed like what fifteen years ago <laughs> in that ship somehow. <laughs> The world is crazy. We don't need to be thinking about these things right now. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's, let's move on. All right, we shake it off. Yeah, and shake, shake it off. Okay, okay, okay. Shake it off. Happy thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, awesome things. Every second about the creation of Babu Frick. Yes. In this documentary is solid gold. The voice actress is amazing. The fact that they had her control the mouth on set. So any crazy thing she thought of saying... She would make Babu Frick's mouth move along at the same time. It was glorious. The, you see the inside of the Babu Frick head, all the mechanics. It's incredible. Yeah. The guy from, the again, the superstars from Neil Scanlon's team. He's like, I just wanted to see how much stuff I could fit in this tiny head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to see and I'm going to make it work. And then intercutting that with them talking about. Was that what they were talking about, Yoda? Were they, or was that earlier on with, with yeah. um, well, Mark Hamill's visiting uh, Neil Scanlon's creature shop, and he's talking about how he poured some green mold to make the Yoda skin. And there's yeah, that incredible footage of Stuart Freeborn talking about Yoda. Yeah, maybe he'll even steal the show. I love Stuart Freeborn so much. <laughs> the part with the John Williams cameo is so much fun, and I love that J.J. calls John Williams a supernatural genius. Well, and I think that, that kind of ties into the whole documentary, too, that everyone it's very easy to get annoyed or irritated or, or angry with J.J. But in this documentary, you can see why he is as successful as he is and why people like to work with him because he does seem like just a genuinely nice guy and everyone likes to be around him. And maybe he makes some weird decisions in his movies, but he just, he's a really sweet guy. And the whole John Williams thing of just them thinking of doing that and then doing it and then doing it so sweetly with creating all the props to represent his Oscar nominations were those nominations or win winnings i think nominations because even right down to the book thief i was like man you're talking book thief yeah. they got a iron from home alone yeah but i was like i was wondering what's the reference for the last jedi oh that one doesn't count <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know though that's a good point to go look through that again and see well you know at some point i'm sure maybe starwars.com or somewhere though someone will have like a list maybe and they'll post it all or someone will figure it out. Yeah. But yeah, that was great. It was so sweet of them to have him do it. Cause I didn't even think it's like until he was in the movie, I don't know that it ever crossed my mind that he should be in the movie. Um, and just watching that scene in the documentary, like I was kind of getting a little choked up just seeing John Williams there and thinking about just how important he has been to all these movies, all these years. And the fact that he made it through all of them, and every one of the scores for all these movies is is just phenomenal. Another positive thing that I notice anytime they talk to Anthony Daniels, he's wearing an incredible jumpsuit and he's sitting in a really comfy chair and he has a neckerchief on with a jumpsuit and it's a phenomenal look. Oh, yeah. Dennis Lawson gets a little moment, a little five minutes of fame, and we get to see that Wedge was at, at least he was on set for the the, the celebration 
at the end at the at the resistance base. So that's good to know. Well, somewhere there's footage of him hugging an alien. So maybe we'll get to see that someday. <laughs> Another standout bit that's in uh, the Skywalker Legacy is thanks to uh, old footage, both Sheila Fraser Baru and Bonnie Peace Baru are in the Skywalker Legacy documentary. Both Barus appear in the documentary. So Baru is essential to the Skywalker Legacy. Both Barus. This uh, I don't I don't think we see Queen Amidala, Padme Amidala once in the entire Skywalker documentary or Shmi, but we do get two Barus. So two Barus better than no Baru in my opinion. Baru times two equals woohoo. <laughs> Where are you going? Looks like I'm going nowhere. I have to go finish cleaning those droids. Oh, and he can't stay here forever. Most of his friends have gone. It means so much to him. I'll make it up to him next year. I promise. <laughs> Luke's, Luke's just not, not a farmer, farmer, Owen. He has too much of his father in him. That's what I'm afraid of. Well, we got to give some more shout-outs to the wonderful Claude. <laughs> With a K, uh, K-L-A-D. Uh. Who is has a little bit more screen time in the Creatures featurette, but he does show up in the Skywalker one. We get to see him hugging Kathy Kennedy, which makes us even more jealous of Kathy Kennedy than we already were. And oh, it's just like, there's so much stuff in the movie like Claude where it's like, they could have made a whole movie about Claude. He's so good. <laughs> He's incredible. Yeah. And they made 10 Claudes that could have been the star of their own movie. And they just, they're so, they're all crammed into this movie. Because I think that's another just crazy thing seeing this documentary is just how much stuff and ideas that J.J. had that they filmed that just got cut. And we don't even see in the documentary the uh, the Oracle and all that stuff. Like, how much stuff is there that was just beautiful things that were built and filmed that hopefully we see someday. Cause even like the extended scene with the, uh, with Dio where he's like going back and forth and he's squeaking like that was actually, it was, I didn't think it was funny as JJ thought it. Cause I think he was going to die in that part, <laughs> but it was actually a pretty, it was a funny gag. And I was like, Oh man, I kind of wish that was in the movie. So, but you know, it's Star Wars and we're just now 40 years later seeing footage from Return of the Jedi and the original films in a documentary. So, if we're still alive in 30 years, maybe we'll get to see more footage from The Rise of Skywalker finally. Well, I, I don't know. I I've, I feel like I've made my peace with The Rise of Skywalker. I feel like I've my opinion is settled. I know how I feel about it. And, and I, I, I liked in the end of, of the documentary too, when they're talking about the, the space horses on the star destroyer surface. And JJ is talking about like the, the whole concept of human sized things taking on these giant impossible odd things and how that's a very star Wars concept. And he was trying to convey that at the end of the film. And like we said, for some people, they got that message. And for some people they didn't that, you know, the movie was I don't know too muddled or something, whatever that message didn't come across, but at least I was like, okay, we're getting more of an explanation for this slightly confusing film than we've had before from JJ Abrams. And 
I liked hearing that because I was kind of like, oh, okay. There's still things I think are inherently weird about that movie, but looking, you know, hearing your point of view on what you were trying to do helps, at least for me. No, I agree. It's the same sort of thing and, and as crazy and over the top and sometimes a messy ball of nonsense that Rise of Skywalker can be. It's a JJ movie and seeing this, you can see JJ's heart was in the right place. He wanted to make the movie he wanted to make and for good or bad, you got to give, I guess, you know, give Disney credit for letting him make the movie he wanted to make. And they did it for Ryan Johnson and some people liked it and some people didn't. And they let him make the movie he wanted to make for this. Some people liked it. Some people didn't, but good for them for letting as big as these movies are, it kind of was a personal movie for JJ and he made the movie he felt that he wanted the story he wanted to tell. It's a good sign for the future that star Wars releases and behind the scenes stuff is back after force awakens and, and some of the uh, story. Yeah. Rogue one and solo. Yeah. Rogue one and solo. It seemed like, Oh, maybe we're not going to kind of get all the stuff we got before, but now, with last Jedi and the director and the Jedi and with this, you know, it's, I'm not going to complain that I got a two hour behind the scenes making of documentary, like bring it on. So that's great that, 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 that it's back. not-so-distant future on a planet called Earth. It's Underoos. Star Wars Boba Fett is here. That means Darth Vader's always near. C-3PO is lots of style. And R2-D2 just makes me smile. Star Wars Underoos are here, yeah! Something out of sight in underwear. Oh, don't be so ridiculous, R2. Underoos are for Earthlings. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. And you know what the deal is with Apple Podcasts? When you're done listening, if you listen on some sort of Apple something or other, head over there to Apple Podcasts. Go to the place where you can write a little review. And if you write something really nice about the show, we'll read yours on an upcoming episode. And don't forget to check out BlastPointsPodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, sign up for the Super Chill Group. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you.
came the dawn, time to go. Hey, did you hear that? We're going to England. Ha <laughs> ha! 